You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Freshwater Bite Podcast. Oh, man. I'm a little sick in the weather today as I record this intro, and uh, if you remember from last episode, at the beginning I told you that I was going on a fishing trip to Saginaw Bay with a group of my buddies, and we went last weekend, and it was very successful. We had uh, a great time on the ice, found some success, found the walleye. Um, however, it was very rough conditions, and you'll hear us talk about those conditions being on the ice with uh, the lack of snow and just the weather that we that we dealt with. But the reason why I wanted to put this podcast out for you guys is you kind of see how we dissected um, Saginaw Bay when we were out there. Uh, many of us have many ex- or many years of experience fishing it, but every single weekend and every single day is different out there on that bay. So it changes all the time. You're dealing with different kinds of weather conditions, uh, ice conditions, things like that, what the fish are doing. And we kind of dissect and go through uh, what happened to our gear, uh, how we attacked the fish to, uh, to get on them, what the bite was like when we were out there, and how we adapted throughout the days to make sure that we kept uh, putting fish on top of the ice. The first part of the podcast, you're going to hear me uh, summarize day one, which was a Thursday out there for us. Uh, the the podcast, that part of the podcast that I recorded initially with those guys, uh, there was some ambient noise in the background. It was just annoying, and I think uh, all you guys would have been annoyed listening to it. So I'm going to do a quick summary of that day, and then you're going to get into all of us talking uh, about our time out there. Now, just to introduce these guys, you're going to hear from uh, my buddy Joel Langton, who has been my neighbor and grew up next to me in my entire life. And then uh, my two buddies from college, who we do all of our ac- <clears throat> outdoor activities with for the most part on Saginaw Bay, which is Pete Fabri and Nick Fabri. You heard Nick on episode 12 of the 12 Days of uh, Christmas podcast episode and uh, we all just talk and basically just BS about our weekend and what worked for us, uh, the issues we ran into, etc. Here we go. Okay, everybody, I'm going to talk about day one for us out there. And again, I apologize for my voice and the way I sound for being sick. But I wanted to talk about day one uh, when we ventured out to Saginaw Bay and the conditions uh, that we were dealing with that day. And then also you know, I'm going to talk about our setup, what we were looking for, um, in terms of, uh, depths and things like that uh, and how, uh, we were able to locate the fish. And then I'll get into a little bit about the lures that we were using. And then the podcast is going to pick up, um, with all of us talking, but day one was, um, about 37 degrees. It was warm and it was raining pretty much the entire day. So as we're going out on the bay, we're we're losing all the snow on top. I mean, by the end of the day, we had zero snow. But I, the thing I will say about that is we were okay with our snowmobiles. And if you have a snowmobile and you're ever in that condition, you should be okay for the most part if you got that water on top and that slush to uh, lubricate the high facts and things like that. I still think if you have a machine that uh, relies on the snow to be cooled and you don't have a fan cooled, uh, snowmobile, um, it's probably still wise to stop every once in a while, let your machine cool down and then continue on. But as long as you got some kind of water and slush on top of that ice, uh, you, you should be good to venture out. So as we're venturing out, you know, we're pulling up our GPS. Uh, we're very cautious about coming up to cracks and things like that. Now, coming up to the cracks on our way out, we would come up to it. We would stop probably about 40 yards away from it, and then we would walk up to the crack. I think it's a great idea for all of you who are going to be venturing out on large bodies of water like Saginaw Bay uh, to do the same kind of thing. You're going to want to check that crack. You're going to want to see how long it or wide it is. Um, uh, You can kind of see the ice around it and... um, you know, make a judgment call on whether you think you can, uh, you know, make it across or not. Most of the cracks that day that we crossed were, were pretty tight. I think probably the biggest one that we had crossed might have been two feet wide, maybe at the most. 
Uh, but still that's, that's very doable on a sled machine and, um, uh, and, you know, pulling shanties and things like that. Now I want to talk a little bit about how we were able to locate the fish. So, you know, it's mid February kind of getting into mid February when we went out on the bay and the way you're going to find these fish, the, the walleye there's, they're so nomadic, as you know, they're, they're moving around all the time and things like that. But what we're looking for is that hard transition. So that transition from uh, shallower water, let's say 13 feet-ish, and then it, it, we're looking for those contours where it drops off to something very deep like uh, 24 feet, uh, 21 feet, something like that. These fish are going to be in that deeper water this time of year. They're not going to be in the shallows during the day. So if you can find and pull up your you know, your GPS or your, your, um, your Lake Master chip or Navionics or whatever it is, you got to look for those transitions. Now, when you get out to these transitions um, on bigger bodies of water, and especially like Saginaw Bay, you're going to see for some reason, and I, there's different theories about this, but you're going to see what we call shoves. Basically, it's two big chunks of frozen ice uh, that has formed, but when they form, they come together based off of the wind and everything, and they push together and they make these like uh, sharp, like uh, glacial pointy things on either side. And what it is, is I call it, we call it a shove. And when you're out there, it seems like these shoves always happen when there's uh, big transition lines underneath you. So when the water goes from, like I was talking about 13 to 21 feet or whatever that is, these shoves seem to, tr- to, to form right in that area where they're transitioning. So a great spot to to set up and start looking is by these shoves. And that's what we did when we were out there. We found these shoves. We noticed that there was a pattern of where they were forming and where we set up. To us, you'll hear us talk about when, when we drop down the camera down there and we start fishing these shoves, these fish are running these shoves almost like a highway, like a, like a road that they're on and they're traveling on them um, underwater. And we'll talk about it too, but you'll see that when we talk about the fish that we were seeing, we're seeing diversity. So we're seeing a lot of different kinds of fish. We're seeing walleye, we're seeing lake trout, we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, catfish, we're seeing sheephead, we're seeing a bunch of stuff come through. And when we see them, we know that we're in an area where all these fish want to hang out. So there's something that's going on. I really believe it's with these shoves. We're also seeing a lot of uh, uh, some, some bait fish down there. We're seeing some shrimp and things like that. So you know that there's food and there's bugs in the mud area out here in this transition where these fish are going to be able to feed. And that's what we did. We found a shove that was um, in deeper water, and that's where we started to fish and set up. And it continued to rain throughout the day, so we weren't too worried about um, you know the conditions getting any worse than it was. We did watch the wind. We played the wind and make sure that uh, throughout the day it wasn't going to switch on us because you know, when you're on big bodies of water like that and you're crossing these cracks and you're on the shoves and things like that, you could blow out if the wind picks up or if it changes or anything like that. And those are the, you know, the horror stories that you hear about guys blowing off and and, and floating out. So always pay attention to that kind of stuff. But we're going to talk about, and you know, we're going to hammer this home to you guys, but if you don't, if you don't have a camera already, an underwater camera, I highly suggest that you maybe invest in one. It could be the some of the most pivotal um, arsenal of equipment that you add to your ice fishing game, Uh, especially for this trip for us. It really, really helped us out um, with not only seeing the bottom, what we were dealing with, what the fish were kind of doing down there, but, um, you know, it was the game changer for us from uh, getting fish on the ice versus not getting fish on the ice. Now, as for lures and bait of what we were using, uh, I would suggest doing a couple things. One, if you have multiple rods, I would set up two rod setups. I would have one rod that has a bait on there that makes a lot of noise, like a like a rip and wrap. And the reason that we're going to start with the rip and wrap is we're going to drop that down there and we're going to use it to, quote unquote, call in the fish. So a lot of the times they're, you know, these fish are reacting to vibrations. They're reacting to noise and things like that. The good thing about that is if they're coming in on that, um, that's a good sign. And if they don't hit your bait, that's fine because at least you know that there's fish in the area and that you can call them in. 
So now that we know that there's fish in the area, we're calling them in with our rip and wrap. Now you got to start changing up your presentation. They don't want to bite it, but they're very, definitely attracted to it. So they got to drop down a different kind of presentation down there. And from there, we just started playing around with different colors and different baits. Uh, we went to spoons like a uh, like a do jigger or something like that um, with some different kinds of uh, vibrant colors. One was uh, gold and white. Uh, another one that we dropped down there was what they call like Wonder Bread. And uh, it's no secret of Wonder Bread on the Bay. That's been a very, very key color uh, for being out there. And if you don't know what that looks like, just Google it and you'll see it's basically a, a white background spoon with a bunch of different you know, red polka dots. It looks like the Wonder Bread wrapping. That's why they call it Wonder Bread, if you remember what that looks like. But basically, we we tip it with the with the dead minnow head, and we drop down there, and this is where the camera's key. You see how these fish are reacting to this bait when you drop it down there. So we've got them called in in the area. We drop down a different kind of lure, and now we're seeing how they react to this bait, and we knew right away that these fish were going to eventually hit these spoons. They were coming in after it aggressively, looking at it, swimming away, coming in again. And then from there, what you want to do is you want to see how these fish are going to want this bait presentation. Are they going to feed uh, on the way up when you're jigging and you start to lift the lure slowly above their head and keep bringing it up, bringing it up, bringing it up and hit it then? Or another good thing is uh, what worked for us was pounding in the mud. So we take that lure and I would literally bounce it off the bottom, create a big mud cloud, and then pop it up maybe three, four inches off the bottom, let it sit there. And that was where I got my bites. When I would pound that mud and then pop, and then bring it back up, those fish would come in and then just, just nail it. And what I think they're doing is they're seeing that fluttering of the spoon looking like a dying minnow. And when it's rolling around in the mud, it looks like that minnow is trying to get up and get away. And when you bring it up out of the mud, that's when they attack. There's, you know, they're very, walleye are very, um, opportunity predator. So if, if it's muddy around there and they think they have an advantage and the, they don't think that uh, the middle can see them, they're going to strike. And that's where we got a lot of our success. So the spoon was a big deal. And then uh, the other good thing for us that worked was um, shiver minnows and uh, jigging wraps. And what you do with those, as you guys know, they're kind of just like these, they're almost like I recall them as like darts. And uh, if you don't know what a jigging wrap is, just Google it and look it up. But they're, they're a heavier lure and they kind of just dart um, when you're jigging them back and forth in neurotic uh, directions. And I would do the same thing. I would jig it up, uh, give some 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 sharp pops of it, and then I would let it sit down in the mud. And when these things go down in the mud, they kind of stick down nose first in the mud with the, with the ass end up in the air. And uh, they really, really like that as well. I got uh, two fish off of that as well. Nick, Pete, and Joel, uh, we're all doing the same kind of thing. And it's and it's great when you can do this because if you're in an area like this, you're all honed in on the fish, um, you know, call out to your buddies, see what's working, tell them what's, uh, what's these fish are biting on. Because if you got more presentations in the water and you're keeping these fish interested, they're going to hang around a lot longer because in their mind, they're going to think there's a bait, uh, almost like, uh, you know, like a dinner table there waiting for them with lots of bait and other things around. It's also a probably good idea. Uh, once you find these fish, you know that they're around there. You don't want to leave them. So it's okay to start putting out other lines if uh, if your state regulations allow that. Put out, uh, put out a dead stick. Put out a tip up and put them away from the shack a little bit. Um, start giving them different presentations. Play with different uh, levels in the water column. Put a dead stick maybe halfway up. Put a, put a tip up. Um, maybe out behind you where it gets even deeper or shallower uh, and, and play around with things like that. So you know that we found these fish and, th and that's what we did. We just started to give them different presentations. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all walked away with uh, with a bucket of walleye and uh, a few nice ones as well. So it's so important to take your time and figure out where these fish are at. Um, you know, really before you drill your first hole, uh, your buddies and you should all be around a uh, Lake Master Chip or an avionics map, and you should be looking at big transitions, underwater points and humps, um, and things like that. That is going to narrow down a lot of water for you guys, especially in big bodies of water. And do not set up permanently or don't get too comfortable until you find these fish. That is the biggest piece of advice I can give you. It is going to be the most efficient way to find the fish and you're not going to waste your time. I mean, 
let's think a lot of us can't fish all the time during the week and things like that. So when we only have uh, the weekends or two days to fish, I mean, our time is very precious. Everyone's time is precious. That's one thing that you can't get back. So when you go out there, you want to be as fishing as possible. And if you just go out there and drill a hole and you're like, oh, I'm in 20 feet of water, I should be good. And just set up right there. You might not see the fish. You might, they might come through eventually. You might get one every half hour, or maybe you get lucky and you, you hit the honey hole, but most likely you're not, that's not going to happen for you. And if that's the way you, you like to fish, just to drill a hole and start fishing, that's fine. Um, but for, for those of you that want to go out there and make the most of your time and be efficient, um, it's going to be frustrating for a little bit. It might take you an, an hour or even two hours. I don't think we started fishing. Uh, this first day on Thursday, uh, really set up shop until like 11 or 1130, I think is, is how long it took us to find the fish. And we started at, you know, eight o'clock that morning driving around and, and being cautious with crossing, crossing cracks and, you know, finding that, the, that change in depth and things like that. So it took us a long time to get set up, but when we set up we had fish around us all day long and that's what, that's, what's going to be. Uh, the difference between um, getting a lot of fish and, and maybe not getting a lot of fish. So definitely take your time, guys, and uh, do your research before you go out and really find those transitions. For us, it was the shoves of ice uh, and, and staying close to those. So, you know, look for things like that on the body of water that you're on while being safe, of course. So those were day one conditions. We wanted to to fish as long as possible and get as many topside because we knew what was coming for day two. Day two was going to bring in 30 mile an hour winds and they were going to be blown out of the west, uh, even at times out of the southwest, which is not an ideal win for Saginaw Bay. So we were trying to make the most of this day and uh, we knew the conditions were going to be changing on Friday. Most likely we wouldn't be able to fish in that. Now, this part of the podcast that we're going to get into now, you're going to hear us start to talk about a lot of our gear um, issues that we're breaking down based off of the conditions. And uh, we're going to pick it up right now with going into day two on Friday, what we did, and then what we did for the rest of the weekend uh, to continue to be successful. And it's a great dialogue. So I hope you guys stay tuned and listen to this next bit of the podcast with uh, Joel, Nick, and Pete. All right. We're going to transition real quick into... The intensity of the bay and what the bay does to your equipment. Nick, you want to take that since you have such a love for the bay? Yeah, I mean, the bay, the bay is a great place to fish if your gear can handle it. I mean, I've had, we've went through three shanties total since I started fishing out here, and it's only seven years, simply because it just beats everything up really bad. Um, the water doesn't freeze like an inland lake does. I mean, if we go around the table right now, I would say this weekend we've lost about 200 bucks in gear. Just little stuff. Not big All right, let's stuff. go around the table. Let's, let's all talk about... Go ahead, Joel. Let's you start. Joel, let's shit. talk about tonight. Why don't we, huh? All right, well... <laughs> what did you... What got beat up out of your gear? Well... Let's start I, with the sled. I thought I was doing <laughs> really good this weekend. And uh, after the night bite tonight, we... Uh, Loaded up, and Lee goes, man, Joel, you're doing really good. Uh, you haven't really broke too many things in that. I go, well, we still got to make it in another four miles. <laughs> he goes, ah, you'll be all right. So we're going along. I got a little faster sled than these guys, so I started cruising ahead of them. All of a sudden, I look back. My whole bin fell off <laughs> the back of my sled, which has all my essential stuff in it. Yard sale. I go back about 200 yards yard sale everything <laughs> in the bin is scattered all over the bay glaze ice we're talking vexlar we're talking i had coleman. everything coleman, coleman grill. grill i had heater bags. heads i had everything you could think of in there frying pans just shimano reels brand new <laughs> brand new <laughs> <laughs> even the box i had it in shattered so it's rough out there. Just when you the th- ice, let me tell you, it's hard right now. So the way the bay forms ice is like basically it forms it in waves, like waves frozen in time, kind of. When you say, yeah, it yeah. kind of looks like waves out the there. Yeah, like oh, yeah, wind. Lee. But yesterday we had gale winds, and all that slush and rain we had frozen the little waves on top of the ice, and it just pounds your gear. 
couldn't even fish Constantly. yesterday, really. We had a, Pete had a trailer hitch that snapped on a brand new shanty today. A, a brand new heavy-duty trailer hitch snapped off. This is what I'll say I mean, about that's what's going cool. out there. No matter what the weather is calling for, just prepare for anything. You got to have tools. You got to have tape. Mm-hmm. You got to have zip ties. Yep. You got to have extra ratchet straps. You never know what's going to happen. So just pack everything you can think of and uh, you got to change as you go. Basically, anything that holds something together. <laughs> yeah. Zip ties, yeah. rope, <laughs> ratchet straps, extra pin colics for, for the hitches, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Everything gets rattled out there. Bounced smashed. around, smashed. It's rough. All right, Nick, what'd you lose? This actually, this weekend, I think I finally got to a point where I haven't lost a lot, but it's just I know the long term damage is going to be bad. I mean, I got a brand new Bay Runner. I got a hole in the top already. I mean, the thing's a week old, and I got a hole in the top corner because we went out yesterday in 35 mile an hour winds, which. You know, it was well, debatable, but we smart. wanted to fish. Catch the night I mean, bite. we had limited amount of time to fish, and we wanted to catch the night bite. It slowed down a little bit, but the weather is brutal. And the one thing I would say is is have anything of value on your sled, anything that you don't really care about as much in your chanty that you're towing behind. But if you care about something, don't have it in the sled because it's going to get beat up. All right, Pete, that leads us to you. Oh, I'd say Pete took, <laughs> took I'm, the, I'm uh, close to a grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you start <laughs> you started limping out of the gates. Oh yeah. Your shanty wasn't in the yeah. best condition to begin with. Yeah, that shanty, you know, had an Eskimo. It was a good ten years we had on that Eskimo or close to it. I mean, it was okay. Okay, but always always had some problems with the tub. And uh, finally, we uh, the bay the bay did it in this weekend. And, first day, uh, first day just destroyed. I literally dragged it in, barely made it back to the launch, and uh, it was enough to the point where I had to go out and buy a new shanty. Your Smitty sled welds yeah. were snapping. I gave I gave up on it. I've been trying to limp by with it for a while. It's a nice shanty, hard to, hard to give up. But uh, after after that. What was that Friday? Yeah, I the whole do it. Smitty sled gave out, except for the very the front welds. of it. All the welds snapped. The only yeah. thing that was holding it up was the front end, yeah. and that literally got us right, barely in. Dragged it in with like just yeah. just enough time for us to get it in. Yeah. Sled was almost overheating. It was not pretty. So then you went out Friday. So Friday was kind of like a. <clears throat> We had to wrap our heads around the weather. Well, obviously, we had to stay off the bay for most of the day because... It was a shopping day, Lee. Yeah, it was a shopping day. It was a guy shopping day. <laughs> but basically, we couldn't get on the bay because there's 30-mile-an-hour winds. They called for gale force warnings. So it's a time of the, it's a time where you don't want to be on the bay. A, it's miserable, but B, for safety purposes, you don't get blown out to the middle of Lake Huron. But, Pete, I want to talk about real quick, when you went shanty shopping, why did you decide the bay runner... And then Nick can chime into the the advantages of it. Well, yeah, I like the Bay Runner um, because uh, first and foremost, uh, Nick just purchased one, and uh, I'm all about the running gun. So I like to hop around. I found my most success is within that first ten minutes of drilling a hole. So I needed something to move quick, and uh, number one, that was the reason I purchased the K drill this year. And uh, then I moved over, and I saw how quick Nick was moving with the Bay Runner, and that setup just uh, seemed to, to fall in line uh, with my philosophy. So I uh, that run-and-gun philosophy, you got to move quick. You hit them hard for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You don't see them, you keep moving. So um, I like that Bay Runner. Yeah, and <laughs> I like that Bay Runner, and, um, yeah, that sold me on it. So. Uh, here I am, brand new shanty, brand new bay runner, and uh, uh, took it out in the worst conditions on Saginaw Bay. <laughs> yeah, first time out. Yeah, but and, first uh, we had to assemble it. Oh, yeah, yeah, first we had to assemble it. That took. Well, it uh, worked out good. Lee, aren't we you ass- going to post a video of the assembly process? Because yeah. there's not a lot out you there. You guys can that. check. Well, hopefully, if I get that up on YouTube, you guys can go yeah, check us yeah. assembling it. 
we had to do it in a trailer because of the winds were so bad and the cold. So we just went in there, put a heater on, and we assembled it. I don't know. I'd say it took us 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, luckily Lee oh, brought his enclosed hour. trailer, so we had a nice workshop all week. Yeah. Yeah. Pull the sleds in, work on them, pull them back out. Nick, describe the Bay Runner, what the features of it. The Bay Runner is is uh, the most mobile solution. So if you want to get out and the features, drill, yeah, the physical features. Oh, the of physical it. features. It's a it's essentially a uh, shanty that pops up within literally ten seconds. It's built into a jet sled essentially, and then you have two two folding open doors where you can drill holes. You set up. You got an a, you got a shelf for your electronics. You got a bench seat. It can fit. It's a one and a half man shanty. You can fit two small people, uh, but it is easy to move. Portable is all hell, and then you can uh, you can leave your gear in there to move. You know, a hundred yards. It's ideal for out here because the only way you're gonna catch fish is to move until you find them. You find fish. They're not even active fish. You got to move again. So. You move today, for instance, we moved almost 10 times. By the end of the day, we or by midday, we found fish. We wouldn't have done that with a hub, or we wouldn't have been setting up and tearing down like that with something like that. So you got to be portable. It is the ideal shanty for portability. And, uh, and, I mean, I've had it for two weeks. It's made my life way easier on the bay. Yeah. I mean, they call it the Bay Runner for a reason, right? I mean, it's designed, it's a Michigan company, Chapel, yep. and uh, they designed it for this bay, for the Saginaw Bay, so it's made for this. Yeah. It's perfect. When you say, I mean, <clears throat> for folks listening, when they mean that it's in a jet sled, a lot of the times, like, they're actually sitting in the tub itself, and the floor is the tub, so it's a lot of the times it's different from other shanties where you flip it over, you know, and your feet are just, like, on the ice, basically. These guys... They're sitting on inside of the plastic tub, and there's two holes or two doors that flip open, um, in, in where they're jigging and where their holes are at. So really, when they're done, they just, you know, flip it back closed, take down one bar that's over their head, it yeah. folds down, and then they're they're already taking off to the next spot. Built-in cover. Yeah, and on small moves, if you're moving 30 yards or 40 yards, 50 yards. They, I think you guys just leave all your shit just yeah, kind of hanging up. There. Yeah, just leave it in there, and then they, they can kind of pull off slowly. Obviously, if they're doing bigger runs, they're gonna bat, you know, pack it up. It down, yeah, yeah, they're gonna batten down the hatches a little bit tighter and and take yep. off. But once you get more. in on them, then you dial in. You don't have to drop your shanty, and and you can essentially just keep that that shanty set up and move 30, 40 yards. Yeah. How so, much is it? How much was it? Yeah. Well, debatable. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. There's a lot of wheeling and dealing. Some people won't match prices, but I'm not going to name names. So Basically, you can get into it for everything. Two, that, that, 260 I think I got into it on sale. So yeah. Bay Runner 1000. So not the latest model, but it was uh, it was perfect for what I needed. Yeah, and you got to buy the runners. You got to yeah. yeah. buy the yeah. runners, buy the hitch, touch You add the all hitch. that up, you're probably looking at, I think it was like five or 600 bucks. Runners, hitch, cover. Um, new heaters. Yeah, new <laughs> heater in the mix. So I brought the whole rig. You're probably looking at about 600 bucks. But, change, but how much easier was your life from a standpoint of having a better shanty? Oh, yeah, night and day, night and day. I was moving quick out there today. Yeah. First day you were struggling, I was worried yeah. about you. After after that, that was it. Yeah, but Pete Pete was Pete's the kind of guy that'll sit out in the rain. It was it was pouring rain Thursday. Pissing rain, yeah. Freezing, pouring rain. Pete'll sit out there in his jacket in the rain and move and not complain until he finds fish. But that day did almost break you, did it not, Peter? You you gotta if you <laughs> if you follow the run and gun philosophy, you have to live it. So live it completely, right? So the Bay Runner adds a level of comfort to the running gun. That is exactly what it does. It it really does. But otherwise, you know, sitting on that sled, drill a hole, drop the drop the vexilar in, and fish. You don't hit any fish in ten minutes. You move to the next spot. Ten twenty yards, just little moves. But that's how you dial in on them. That's how you catch limits. 
All right, I'll get into all my gear that got beat to shit. Um, <laughs> where do you start? I don't know where to start. Uh, one, I lost my my bait up on the ice somewhere. I don't know how we lost that, but that got lost uh, last night in the 30-mile-an-hour winds or 24-mile-an-hour winds that we were out in. Um, followed by my underwater camera, which I was super scared about. So on the Aquaview, I have one that's probably 10, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 years old, but the camera housing looks like a fish. And just from it being in my tub, which I have in a padded pail, cushioned pail on the inside, somehow the tail got snapped off and I could see the inside of the housing, meaning that I was worried that the water was going to seep in through and ruin my camera. Now, I don't know the the specs behind that or if that was really going to happen, but basically my weekend would have been over because we were talking about the essentials of why you need a camera. So if I didn't have that camera, I don't know if I would have, or Joel was in my shanty. I don't know if any of us would have caught fish the rest of the weekend. Yeah, it was essential. So we went out and got Gorilla Glue, uh, silicone, and tried to patch it back up and seal it the best we could, and it ended up working out for us. So the, the camera took a beating, and then the housing of the monitor, all the screws rattled loose, and it separated into two pieces. Mm. And it's got a lock, a lock nut on the bottom, and I don't know how, but these things rattled loose, and they're in the bottom of the, the cushion pail. So luckily, we got to assemble that again. So that took a beating. Uh, my cleats, my ice cleats snapped in half, so then I was walking <laughs> on slippery ice the entire time, just on my boots. How about that fall today? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I bit it so bad. Walking in the front of Joel's sled, I fell and almost face-planted into the front of his skis on his snowmobile. Then my jacket zipper completely shattered and went off, and my jacket kept splitting like in <laughs> half. Yeah, my jacket is my jacket's done. Uh, so I didn't have I wasn't able to close my jacket when we were running and gunning because I had no zipper. And then what else took a shit? My Markham had some troubles at the end. I don't know what that is. I gotta. I might be able to finagle that and figure that out. That that seems like a, a technical error. Like when I turn it on, everything's looking haywire. And then I think, what else? That's it. I mean, the but, moral of the story is every day is different out there. Yeah, every day is. Thursday we had rain. Friday we had wind. Today we had no snow on so the true. ice. And the ice was so hard from the rain freezing up on top of the ice where we couldn't even get anything going into our uh, machines we couldn't get any lubrication we couldn't get any anything cooled down Except and the ice was just hard and it was bumpy out there it, and it went from 30 degrees plus well, let's say like almost 40 to then single digits yeah. right single digits so every and with the wind it blew it blew all of the snow off the ice between the wind and the rain and then everything froze right back up so there's literally not an ounce of snow on the ice. The scratchers don't even work on the sleds. There was nothing. We put scratchers on our snowmobiles. So basically what a scratcher is for anybody out there who doesn't know what that is, it's like a wired hook that hangs out the bottom of your track on either side. And the object of it or the intent of it is to scratch the surface of the ice so it blows those pieces of ice up into your high facts to keep it lubricated when you don't have enough snow. Cool, cool to your sled down. Yeah, and it cools your sled down basically too. Now that didn't work. Didn't Nothing. work today because the ice was too hard. When you're going ten miles out, you gotta take care of your sled. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's your lifeline. Yep. That's gonna get you back in. You gotta make sure your high facts are lubed. You gotta make sure you're staying cool. If you gotta stop and cool down, you gotta do what you gotta do. So me and, me and Lee have fan-cooled sleds, and they didn't struggle too bad today. But we did come up with a solution that uh, is part... Literally a solution. <laughs> part something, part something, and essentially it cools your um, your Hyfax down in your track when there's no snow. It honestly worked like a charm today, so, uh, so I think we're going to bottle it and sell it. 
<laughs> but it is perfect for the bay in these kind of conditions that help sell save your sled uh from wear and tear but at the end of the day a sled 90 percent of the time is the ideal machine on the bay we were in the 10 percentile today with unideal you wish you had had a four-wheeler or something like that but uh joel's brother brian came out with his sled and <laughs> Just it shows you the importance of it. He had to keep stopping every what eighth of a mile. Yeah, he's got a long track, so it's not ideal for the bay. But he couldn't keep anything cool down. It just kept overheating constantly. Right. So, I mean, it literally took him hours to get it's in like, and out. Like five to ten minutes of runtime, and then thirty minutes of just sitting there waiting. Right. Yeah, he had to wait so, there for at least twenty to thirty yeah, minutes for his sled to cool down. Right. It wasn't ideal. I felt bad for the guy because. He drove up a long way, but just shows you the importance of what can make or break you. Like Joel said, it's your lifeline out there. So if you get stuck, if you think you're just going to jump on your machine, head out without a plan, yep. and then you get out there, like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> you get punched in the face out there, and your sled takes a shit. I, I, I don't know how you get I, it back in 10 miles. E- no. Even if you think you, you're not going to need things, just throw it in. I mean, you never know what's going to happen out there. Well, thank Thursday was a different story than today, which is Saturday. I mean, Thursday, we had rain and water on the ice, and we had slush, no issues. Yeah. It was perfect for sleds. Four-wheeler would have struggled. It was too much slush. Today, two days later, a four-wheeler would have shined, and a sled failed completely. So you got to really pay attention to your weather, and you got to pit, you got to ask hands, and yeah. find out what the wind is and what's going on with the surface of the ice because and even do some scouting ahead of time it's not it's not it's not as simple as going out there punch a hole find the fish i mean that's the hardest part on top of that you got to make sure you can actually just get out to where they're at that's the struggle Mm -hmm. when you're fishing out here in the winter is being able to get out to where you need to get out to where there's fish once you get out to where there's fish refining it but just getting there is half of the battle and if you know, most guys after today are going to call it quits because shit got ruined. You lost gear, you lost, your sleds are taking a toll and all that stuff. But now is the time where you finally found the fish, you refine it, you get on them, and you win tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel. So Friday, <clears throat> getting into Friday, so basically we Pete got his new shanty. Friday was a shopping day, uh, yeah. a setup day, and then... You know, the 30 mile an hour winds blew in, and then not, I mean, in the okay wind direction, west winds is what we had. Um, southwest probably would have been a true southwest wind, would have been really we bad. Never went yeah. out on the southwest. But, up yeah, so we went out last night, basically, like Joel was talking about, on a scouting mission. We started to go to, to, to the first crack of where um, the ice was broken up, and if that was going to be blown out, we would have had to change our game plan for today yeah. completely we, we wanted to understand yeah. how the ice looked right how bad was it damaged by the wind basically. right so shot or fast forwarding until today when we got out there we went out to that first spot that we talked about on thursday where we knew the fish were in the 24 feet of water we found those shoves we set up on those shoves that we talked about and basically that's where the fish were again on the shoves using them as a highway and you know it's pretty noisy out there with the ice cracking and and moving and whatnot but we knew every crack that we crossed actually got even better than it was on thursday it it, it locked yeah, yeah it locked up it, they got tighter created more shoves so we had more options more transition lines to start fishing with we put our cameras down again and immediately fish were going by but today i would say they were more neutral or negative than they were on the prior or on uh, even on thursday so now these fish are again they're locked jaw we got to start figuring out what we're going to do and i can say that joel called them in with the the buck shots and that seemed to be the ticket for sure for sure that that noise yep, that little bit of noise yeah. just seemed to draw them over to us yeah, because I was probably 20 yards away from you guys, and 
I threw everything at them, and they wouldn't look at it. And then I put a buckshot with like a bloody nose buckshot with gold, and they started coming right in because it was the finesse of the buckshot just dropping down and up, and then the slight rattle that they were interested in. Whereas a, a rip and wrap or a you know do jigger, it was too much, and it would they would shoot off. Even the lake trout kind of looked at it and yeah, but that's took where off. the camera comes in key. You would have never it known that. Never yeah, known you would have right? been marking them with your flashers, but you'd have never known how they're acting right. if we didn't have cameras down. You wouldn't even known there was Lakers there. No, really. Well, Brian the Laker re- came in, slammed the buckshot, and then left. But he was chasing a walleye. He chased a walleye through my hole, and then he left. So unless you have that visibility of, like, actually seeing it, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't have known the difference between a lake trout. You probably wouldn't even have seen a lake trout on the Vexlar or the Mm-mm. or the hummingbird. And Brian had that issue today. He had his Vexlar. He doesn't have a camera. He just had yeah. a Vexlar. And all day long he was texting us saying that I'm getting marks, I'm getting marks, I'm getting marks, but nothing is hitting. So Brian had an unfair advantage that he couldn't yep. see what those fish wanted and what they wanted to do. He hooked into a few of them, but lost them at the at the hole. But I think the camera would have changed his game for sure. Yep. So Joel calls him in. I'm sitting next to Joel with the rattle spoon, and uh, we went through probably five or six different lure combinations yeah, to start seeing something. what they wanted because every time they came in, even though they got called in with the, the buckshot, they were negative and they wouldn't bite. So we started switching up our our lures. I went to uh, the do jigger. Um, yeah. th- then I went to uh, the uh, rattle wrap, and I then trying I trying Wonder Bread spoon. Yep, uh, I went to throwing the, everything, at throwing him. everything at them, and then I finally landed on something that they were into, which was the jig and wrap. And the jig and wrap, the way I mean, I'm sure everyone works it the same, but basically it's like a it's like a heavy. I like to refer to it as like a dart. So you jig it up and then smack the bottom, jig it up, smack the bottom. It's going to stick into the bottom like nose first with its ass end up in the air. And I didn't pick it up more than six inches off the bottom. I just kept doing that, doing that, doing that. And that was the only way I could get the the fish to bite today. You had better success um, with your buck shots coming in, yep. and the color was orange, right? Yep, color was orange, and uh, just the noise, uh, bring them in the area and then figure out after that point, uh, we'll get them to start biting. And then it was game on. Then we started to clean house pretty good. Pete got yeah. into uh, two got right away. Yeah. <clears throat> Should have had five today. <laughs> lost. Uh, I lost three on the way up. And, and then I missed a few, too. I probably saw 30 walleye today, at least. 30 chances. Would you miss them at, at the hole, just hitting their heads off the bottom of the hole, or just? Uh, I missed two at the hole. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna talk about that. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I missed one halfway up. That was about a nine pounder. And uh, then yeah, there was a lot of them that snubbed me. There was a lot, uh, probably about 20, 25 fish that came up, nosed the bait, looked at it a little bit, and then just kept moving. So they were uh, they weren't as active today as they should be but yeah i mean it's still 30 any day you can see 30 fish is a good day it's kind of okay talk about nick talk about why we like to see diversity in the species of fish from my experience it's uh if you see multiple species you're in an area where there's decent either traffic meaning they're using the area as a as a area to get in from one point to another or there's a lot of bait. And when we see, for instance, lake trout, catfish, walleye, perch, perch whitefish, any of those brown trout, if you start seeing multiple species, you're somewhere where the fish want to be. Benefit to the camera is seeing what's down there, not wondering, oh, they're just walleye, they're just perch, whatever. You actually can visualize and know what's down there. So for us, if we see two, three species, you're in a good spot. Today, the fish started out very neutral, meaning we seen walleye, they come look at it and they'd leave. Come look at it and leave. As we got towards the evening, late night, or uh, evening bite, they'd come in and they'd smack it. So we, the fish turned on. 
And we were talking about this early in the week. Don't leave fish to find fish all the time. Because if you leave fish that are inactive, they may turn active and you may get a limit or you may get on a really good bite very quickly. So, I mean, we've today was a special circumstance because we had, you know, Brian that was having some issues with his sled and we wanted to fish with him for a bit. So we left fish that were getting active. But normally you sit and you stay and you wait them out and they're gonna you're gonna get active fish and we saw that towards the end of the bite mm-hmm. tonight joel caught his i caught mine and uh, lee lee caught one within yeah, 20 minutes right yeah. it just they happened they it on. happened within 20 minutes literally and we were there for two hours in one spot but we were seeing a lot of fish but they were neutral yeah so if you find that diverse kind of honey hole of all these different species of fish i would just sit there even if they are being neutral don't move i mean some guys talk back and forth that they're like oh i find a neutral pod of uh, or a negative pod of fish that aren't biting and they pick up and move well you don't know the circumstance that day we have like we said no snow we can't it's a big deal to move well look lee there is a big deal to find fish in a big basin like that yeah that's true to find walleye in a big body of water like that is a big deal. You're talking thousands of square miles of water to find act, to find fish by numbers within 20 minutes seeing 10 fish is a big deal. If you can just hunker down and wait them out, and guess what? If they bite, they bite. If they don't, you were on fish at the end of the day. You were seeing mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, you found them. That's enough. That's a feat. That's a you know. That's a victory yeah, in, in itself. I mean, itself. it's different on an inland lake where where there's there's only limited spots that the fish are going to be. But on a big body of water, if you find fish, that's a big deal. Small moves maybe from there, but if you find fish, you find fish. Yeah, and I mean, we got on the forums later on, and there was guys doing extremely well today all over the bay. But you know, it's there. If you were out there t- today, we we felt by ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the bay is so big that, I mean, it's it's really throwing a dart at a at a at a at a board blind and hoping that it sticks. And then from there, you just gotta focus down the area, smaller and smaller and smaller. And when you find them, I would suggest not moving in a big body of water like that. My opinion. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, we're mid February almost, and. The fish moved to the deepest part of the water. We tried to get there, but we couldn't get there. But if you get there, there's huge fish by the numbers. We pushed it, but I mean, you got to go, you literally have to go 12 miles out, and the conditions are not ideal to be able to travel 12 miles. If you get there, though, I'm sure you could get on some big numbers of big fish because mm-hmm. all the spawners are getting ready to go up the Saginaw River. Okay. All right, we're going to go around and do like a concluder or advice that you would give one piece of equipment or one piece of advice that people take with them out on the bay just one one piece what's your one advice one thing to throw out there even if you already talked about it as a reminder um i would say tools because <laughs> <laughs> right, i'm the one always fixing eight, everything eight. so That's a big one um throwing a few extra tools and a few extra that can't zip ties and uh everything you can think of because i mean <laughs> the bay is a uh it's a rough place so you got to be prepared <laughs> so i would say tools tools Nick. i mean <laughs> i don't know there's so many things that you need you can't you can't go out there and expect everything to go well it, this, like I said, Never this does. is not a lake in Wisconsin Never. where you troll out out of the parking lot and you're in the water and you're just all jumping around all snapping. the points and you're on fish within five minutes of weed bed on a drop. You literally need, in my opinion, the essential. I would not go out on that body of water without navigation. There you go. I was going to talk about If that. you do not have navigation, stay at home because you can get turned around in two seconds and drive into a spot that you don't belong. So tell them what tell them what you do. Your method of stopping at oh, cracks yeah. and shoves on your yeah. GPL. I mean yeah. I don't might, know if everyone does that. Sure, it takes a little time, but I track my route out. And by the way, I have a Herm, Hummingbird Helix Seven, which is great because I use it in the summer, I use it in the fall, I use it in the winter, and I use it in the spring. 
and I keep all my waypoints. But in the wintertime, I drop waypoints as we go out on our track where the cracks are so that I go from point from waypoint to waypoint to ensure that we stop before we check the crack before we cross it to make sure it didn't open up 8, 10, 12 feet and that we get across safely. So that's critical. If you don't have that, don't go out, period. Don't don't risk it. It's not worth it. You know, we've talked about it a lot, but the safety aspect of the bay, honestly, it's more dangerous than Lake Erie because things open up, things change. It's open to Lake Huron. It's different every day. We went out of Lake Erie when it was frozen in 14, 15, when ice conditions were really good. They were better than the Saginaw Bay and Lake Erie. You got to use your head out here. So, I mean... So I would I wouldn't go out here not knowing what you're doing. You need to know your stuff. You need to do your research, and you need to have good navigation so that you can get in and off the ice safely. Period. So just a scenario for you guys. Thursday night we came in and it was 37 degrees, foggy, rainy, and yep. dark, and we probably couldn't see more than I don't know 20 yards in front of us. Yep. Nick was leading yep. the way because Nick had the GPS unit up. And not only was he following our trail, but as he talked about, he had the waypoints of when we'd come up on a crack. So on the way back... I did not look up from the GPS. I looked at the GPS more than I looked up at the what was in front of me. Because the GPS at least told me where I was going and what cautions were ahead. The... I mean, without what the safest route. Yeah, what the safest route was. We came in that way. We're leaving that way. I know where the major issues are that way. And I could address it accordingly, and I knew where the safe ice was. And but at the same point, you still need to check all the cracks on the way back. You do. Yeah. Because you, you, check you never them. know what's going to happen out you there. You check them. I mean, the biggest the biggest mm. obstacle on the bay is there's a ton of fish out there. It's all about getting to them. And if you can do it safely, good for you. And if it takes you an extra – today, for instance, this morning, it took us an extra hour and a half to get to where the fish were. Was it worth putting all the precautionary measures in place? Yes, because cracks changed overnight. I mean, the shove, the shoves where the cracks were, they overlapped. There was like hurdles that you had to jump. Whereas the day before, they were just flat three-foot gaps that you wouldn't be getting across with a quad without a, without a ramp. So, I mean, you got you to gotta take the time and fish out here and there's a lot of popularity on the bay now everybody and their brothers going out on the bay because lake erie's not freezing guys from wisconsin and minnesota found out about how good the bite is over here so they're coming but i would say use your head before you go out there because we've been fishing this body of water for almost 20 years combined that's 40 years of knowledge between most of us and honestly we still find times where we're uh we're at risk so you got to be smart Someone put a side by side in today. Yeah, I mean every every single day you're out here, you hear about a machine going yeah. in. And there is not one day foot of water, out or foot of foot of ice on right. the bay, right? And it's, it's somebody put a side by side. It in. because people don't track where the cracks are and where the dangerous spots are, and that's why we mark them because you come flying up on them at night and you don't see them. You that's don't what have a waypoint. Side by side, he came flying up mm-hmm. on it and couldn't stop in time, and then yeah. dumped it. Yep. So you just, I mean, it's 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 being smart and it's taking an extra five minutes each spot to maybe let your cool your sled cool down, check your gear, make sure everything's fine. Just just take that extra five minutes because honestly, it's not worth it. Because when you're coming in at night, everything looks the same. You could end up on the east side of the bay in Caseville when you're supposed to be in Bay City. I mean, you just you can't tell. Everything looks the same. Yeah, so. you're not gonna be able to see the shoreline too every day. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, Pete. Well, I'm going to mix it up um, because I think these guys have been talking about gear and navigation. I'm going to go flip it back to the fish. Um, True to run and gun approach. It's that first 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. You're either going to know there's fish there or you're not, or there's not going to be fish there. So that's true. What you need to do is you need to drill those holes. You need to get down there. And within that first 15, 20 minutes, you know, you jig your heart out, you know, make some noise. And if there's fish around, they're going to come around and you're going to see numbers. I would say probably all of us, the, the most fish we'd see on screen at any one time was 
during that first 10, 15 minutes. Um, after that, if you're not seeing anything, uh, t uh, today, for example, I could have limited out today if I would have chosen to just hop around every every 20 minutes, every half hour, and just hopped around in my general area. The fish were scattered, and if you would have kept hopping around, you would have limited out, right. hands down. And it's, it's that first 10, 15 minutes is what's going to tell you are there fish around, how many fish are around, and it's going to give you your best shot. So spend that 10, 15 minutes, and, um, and that's going to tell you a lot. That's all I got. All right. I'll say this. I think, A, you never go on the bay alone. So Amen. you should mm -hmm. always go out there at least with one other person. A um, couple things to check before you go out. Obviously, make sure you got your cell phone on you. Tools. Tools. But full tank of gas. Full tank of gas. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. uh, but I think if you go out with a group of guys that are all on the same page of knowing that there's fish out there, but take your time on getting out there and stop to make sure you check on everyone every few i'd say go a mile excuse me go a mile every mile yeah every mile stop look behind you yeah. look at your gear is everything still on mm -hmm. your sled is everything still how's your shanty looking because when you hit the gas and you go another mile that's another mile away from shore that's another mile away from safety that's yeah. another mile of into basically the unknown of where you're going and really, if you think about it, you're just adding to the pot of more things that can go wrong. And Lee, just a point to that. When you're out on the bay, the fish tend to be in the deeper water during the day. Yeah. We move to the shallower waters in the evening. Yeah. Two reasons. Not because we necessarily want to, because it's a smart decision, because you're closer to the launch, you're closer to where you went out, you have more safety because there's safety in numbers out there right so there's more people closer to shore less cracks go over less cracks go over right so you're not navigating in the dark right so i, th I think you know on the bay you know you fish you you move deeper during the during the midday you move shallow in the evenings yes the catch rate might go down it could be better who knows but it's probably the most smart decision yeah. that you can make that's why you gotta make the most of it when you get to that spot that you want to get to. Like Pete was saying, start yeah. jigging in the first 10, 15 minutes. If you're not seeing fish, move, and then because really your time, the, the 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 clock starts ticking as soon as you get on that ice and you get set up because yeah. your 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 time in the quote unquote primo spot of where you think the fish are are dwindling down because our system that we use is we usually pack up around four o'clock ish and we start to head back towards shore and then we set up maybe for another hour at the most for that night bite. And then usually we're back in, I don't know, half hour after dark. Yep. Hour after dark. I don't want to intimidate anybody from not coming to the bay, but I you think know, it's I, mean, I, I think it's a good checklist. Yeah, we're hell yeah, real. we're being real. You're being real because you don't want people coming out here that fished in lakes their whole life and think that it's the same. Yeah, it's not. It's intimidating. Yeah, and it's you, not I like mean, Minnesota where they've got years. they can drive their truck out and they've got plowed roads and things like that. Yeah, I mean we've been going out here for years. It's different every day. It looks different every day. Your trail that you had the day before isn't there, and then there's a crack and there's there's all kinds of movement. So you yeah. gotta like you gotta prepare. I mean tools and all that stuff. You wouldn't think that you need that on inland lake. You have to have it out there. Yeah. You have to. I mean, this is advice based on experience and based on being smart and knowledge against getting into bad situation. Yeah. And there's and it, there's a lot of fish out there. You just got to like literally it's it's way more work, but you put in a little bit more work up front before you go out there and you're way safer. Yeah. Preparation. And you have a good time. It's oh, yeah. all about having a good time. And I think we've refined it to a point where. We go out there, we have a blast, and we have fun, and we search for fish. We don't always catch fish, but we're safe. We feel good about being out there. We're not necessarily scared other than the shotguns going off today out there, ice cracking and moving because moving. the sun came up. Oh, dude, I was scared. <laughs> Pete, Pete, Pete was, was scared. No, Pete was just calling me out on being scared. But, all right, well, in closing, everyone, you can fish the bay just – Hopefully this podcast brought you some kind of from our little fishing trip for two days. Yeah, so let's go through that. We had, I got three, 
Yeah, I got total. I think, I think got, total yeah. altogether we got ten. Yeah, but we missed. We missed a whole day. Fifteen. Oh yeah, missed a whole day of fishing. So too, that yeah. was two days of fishing. We got ten. Yeah, we should have had. If they were snapping, we would have had limits. Way more. Right? We would have had limits. Yeah. If they were really hitting, we would have had way more. But we saw a lot of fish. We were we were probably up against the hardest cold front, warm front collide of the season. Right. Mm-hmm. And we made the best out of it, but we did pretty decent. Yeah, we had a great time up here. Yeah. We had a blast. Hanging out with your buddies. We're fishing tomorrow morning. We spent That's money. That's not going to be on here. Maybe <laughs> Lee can do a little follow-up on how we end up doing yeah. on the, on the next yeah. date, yeah. Sunday. The weather we're is going to be perfect. Now. Yeah, we're dialed in. Yep, we're dialed in. We know where the fish are. Mm-hmm. We got routes. We're going bright and early before the sun comes up, and we're going to get on them. So Lee can give a little update. I'll follow up with how we did on that. Pete's fading yep. here quick, so we got to wrap Falling it up. Asleep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. As uh, as always, I think we're gonna we're gonna conclude this episode. Be safe out there, uh, everyone. Keep fishing, and uh, thanks for listening. Okay, guys, that's it. That's all. That's episode number seventeen. Uh, I just want to thank Pete, Nick, and Joel for coming on the podcast. I hope you guys got a lot of great value out of that episode. You know, there was a lot of great uh, things to remember, like tools to bring, uh, what to do when you're crossing cracks, where to find the fish in large bodies of water, things like that. And uh, hopefully you guys can take some of that content and uh, value to out on your fishing excursions here. Uh, the last few weeks of ice that we'll have left lingering around before we get into the spring. But uh, yeah, hopefully next time I'm feeling better. I get on this podcast and I'm not so nasally. Thanks for putting up with that. And as always, check me out on Instagram, Freshwater Bite, and uh, our Facebook page at Freshwater Bite Podcast. And uh, thanks for listening, guys, as always.